Uh, so just a little bit of, about me. My, uh, my family, uh, as I was growing up, we, we didn't have a whole lot uh, growing up. We, we weren't poor, um, but we, had, you know, we never went without, but we never had extra either. Uh, you know, we never had extra toys or extra uh, Little Debbie snack cakes or, you know, whatever the case may be. Those ran out quick, and when they ran out, you didn't go to the store and get more until... It was the next time to go to the store and get more. Uh, and so we never had uh, extra. But I grew up around a lot of friends who, who did, who, uh, you know, their parents were, were more well-off than mine, and they had, uh, they had Nintendos and Segas and uh, eventually Playstations and Xboxes and lots of toys and lots of Little Debbie snack cakes. Um, it's a, it was a theme in my childhood. Um, I love me some Swiss cake rolls, fudge rounds, and uh, and star crunches. I used to try and eat the star crunches like little piece by little piece, and that would work for about five seconds, and then I would just, I would eat it. But I grew up around people that had more than we had, and and. There were times in my life where I was envious of them. Um, I didn't get a car until almost the end of my senior year when most of the people I went to school with got cars as soon as they turned uh, 16. Uh, and the car that I got, oh, it was a beauty. Um, it was a hand-me-down. It had been our family car. Uh, it was a 97, so I graduated high school in 02. It was a 97 Chevy Lumina, uh, four-door, uh, forest green, uh, with a gray cloth uh, interior. Um, uh, it was uh, terrible. It was awful. Uh, it was better, though, than my friend's 89 Geo Sundance that I'd ridden to school in uh, for about uh, four years, or about three years, that could not handle the cold winters of Florida. Um, it, uh, whenever it got cold for a week and a half, uh, it wouldn't start, uh, which is saying something because a cold morning for us was like 40 degrees. Um, but it was, so my car was better than his, but it was not better than uh, most, of my, uh, most of my friends. Uh, most of them had pretty nice cars. A guy in my homeroom, he, he got a brand new gold Mustang. I had another friend that they got a brand new Toyota Celica. They, they had Jeeps. They had trucks. They had SUVs. They had vehicles that you would not be embarrassed to go pick someone up in. Um, I never knew that feeling. Um, my car ran. Uh, it worked. Uh, and you could haul a dead deer in the trunk of it comfortably, <laughs> which happened on a couple of occasions. And so I jumped at the first chance I got to buy a new car. I was getting ready to go to seminary, um, and, and I bought an 05 Chevy Cobalt. It was cobalt blue. It was, uh, only had 16,000 miles on it. And so in the summer of 07, I bought me a new car, and I thought, this is going to change my life. I'm going to have a new car, it looks good, it drives good, I don't have to be embarrassed by it, it doesn't smell funny, um, you can't fit a deer in the trunk, so my dad can't call me to come pick him up in the woods anymore, this is fantastic, this is going to change my life, and you know what, it did, it did, because it introduced me to car payments, 
It introduced me to car payments. I still have it. It's sitting out in the parking lot over here. Um, it's the blue one uh, that only has one hubcap and no clear coat on the hood. Um, and so just find that one, and that's my car that changed my life. We're not a naturally contented people. We're always wanting something. We're always wanting more. We always want more of something that we feel we don't have enough of or, or that we don't have at all. And we believe deeply and truly that if I simply had this one thing that I, that I want, that I would be happy, that, that I would desire nothing else in my life if I only had this. And it could be anything. It could be good things. It could be, uh, you, you could desire uh, a family. You could desire a, a spouse. You could desire a job and education. Maybe it's money that you desire, uh, or maybe for you teenagers, maybe it's a nice car that you want, a, a piece of technology for you younger kids. Maybe it's a toy, or maybe some of you older kids too. Um, maybe you desire and think you'll be happy if you have a significant other, a nicer house, um, a smaller waistline for some of us. If only I had this, I would be happier. I would be content. And look, a lot of those things, they're, they're, they're not bad in and of themselves. It's not bad to desire them. It's not bad to, to seek after them. But as we're going to talk about today, where do we find our contentment? Where do we find our joy? And for Christians, for the church, uh, for us, being content is a being about Christ-sufficient. And so we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 today. So if you'll turn to Philippians 4, I'm going to read verses 4 through 20. Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again you renewed your care for me. You were, in fact, concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little and how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need. I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you, Philippians, know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. 
For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. For I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is encouraging the Philippians to rejoice always, and to rejoice not in their circumstances, but to rejoice in the Lord. This is a reminder Paul is giving them uh, back to the, the beginning of his letter where, he, where Paul makes known his joy to the Philippians for all that they've done for him. They, they sent him gifts and visitors to Rome. But his joy is, is not in his present circumstances. Paul, Paul is in prison in Rome. But his joy is in the Lord. His joy is in the fact that even though while he is in prison, he has the opportunity to every day share the gospel with his guards. And people are boldly proclaiming the gospel because of and in spite of Paul. And so he rejoices in the Lord. Paul is, is going to teach the Philippians a, a lesson on being content with where they are in their lives. Remember that many of the people that would have heard Paul's letter read in the Philippian church, they, they would have been uh, slaves, they would have been servants, they would have been people who are in need. And, and, and so he tells them to rejoice always. And that when they begin to worry, when they begin to doubt, that they are to take their worries and their anxieties to God. And that when we come to the, to the realization that we serve a big God, that, that He is in control of all things, that God is truly sovereign, then we will receive a, a peace, a joy that we cannot explain. We, we, we quote this verse quite often about taking our anxieties to to the Lord, and that He will give us a peace that passes all understanding, but we rarely actually live it out. We make backup plans just in case God's plan doesn't work or we don't like what His plan entails. We want to take matters into our own hands until we finally reach a point when we realize that it's not in our hands, that it's never been in our hands, and that we can't control it. And we're broken to the point where we come to the realization that we have to trust in God. For, for, me, for me, that point was in the spring of, of, of 2014. We were, Megan and I were three months um, past my, my diagnosis with, a, with an aneurysm. And we had another year and a half to go until uh, surgery. And it was during this period that I began to realize perhaps for the very first time in my life, that I ultimately was not in control. But instead, it was God who was in control of all things. A, a few months later, Megan uh, dug out these uh, scripture cards. She used to work at a family Christian store uh, before we got married. 
And so whenever something would go on clearance, she would buy it. Uh, and so we have lots of paraphernalia in our house. Um, and, and so, but she brought, she bought these scripture cards and they were divided up uh, on different topics. And uh, so what you could do is you could search by topic, something you were struggling with, and you could take these cards, and, and they were Scripture-based prayers. And so I, I got them out, and I grabbed several that dealt with anxiety, and this was one of those cards. And so I would carry these everywhere with me for months. For months on end, I would carry them uh, to church. I, I would have them on my nightstand uh, as I went to bed. I would have them at work, at dinner. I would have them when I had panic attack in the aisle at Sam's. And I would pull them out and I would start praying them. And so I'm pretty sure the people at Sam's thought I was crazy. But I would pull this out and I would begin to pray it. And it wasn't just the fact that, oh, I'll say this or I'll pray this. And, and all of my worry and all of my anxiety would go away, that everything would be all right. It was the fact that I was acknowledging that God was ultimately in control. That there was nothing I could do to fix my problem. There was nothing that I could do to make this better, but that ultimately, no matter what happened, God was in control of my circumstance and that he was going to work it out for his glory. And so I had to constantly remind myself of these things and give my worry, give my anxiety over to him. And it, I wasn't healed. I didn't get better, but he provided me with a peace. He provided me with a joy that can only come from the knowledge that he is in control, that he is good and that he is kind and that no matter what happens, it will ultimately be okay. That worry does nothing to help me or give glory to God. So we have to daily make the decision to find our joy in the Lord. Our circumstances in life, they're going to change. They're going to change year by year. They're going to change day by day. They're going to change moment by moment. And so if we seek joy, if we seek contentment, if we seek peace in our circumstances, our circumstances will change. And when they change for the negative, our joy, our peace, and our contentment will crumble away. But when we seek those things in the Lord, He is our rock, He is our refuge, He is our strong fortress. And He never goes away, He is everlasting. And so our joy and our peace and our contentment will be steadfast. And so we have to daily make that decision to trust in the Lord and give Him our anxieties and our worry. Paul wants the Philippians to know the peace of of God that comes from the God of peace. He commands them to give all of their worries to God and, and to trust in Him, and they will have peace. He then lays out for them what this looks like. He tells them to think on a few things, to ponder them, to, to meditate on them. In, in our world today, when we talk about meditation, we, we think of kind of Eastern uh, uh, mysticism, Eastern meditation, and we think, okay, you're just supposed to empty your mind of everything and just empty yourself, and you're an empty vessel. 
Well, for us as Christ followers, the, the opposite is to be what we're to do. We're not to empty ourselves. Instead, we're to fill our mind, but, but not fill our mind with the things of the world, but we're to fill our mind with the truth of who God is and what he has done. And so we are to meditate on God. We're to meditate on the things of God. And so Paul tells them to think on things that are true, to think on things that are honorable, just, pure, lovely, things that are commendable, things that are excellent, of of moral excellence, things that are worthy of praise. That we're to think on these things, to meditate, to dwell on them. Well, what or, or who is the ultimate example of these noble virtues? It's God. And so Paul is telling the Philippian church, he's telling us to think on the things of God always and in all circumstances that we find ourselves, whether, whether things are going well, whether things are going per, poorly, whatever circumstance of life we happen to be in the moment, we are to meditate, we are to fill our mind and our lives with the things, with the truths of God. To remind ourselves who God is and what He has done for us. As Shad and Roger and the band sang about God giving himself up for us, of saving us, of sacrificing himself for us. We are to meditate on these things to remind ourselves of them. And so for us to do this, it involves digging deeper into his word. Paul uh, uses uh, his life as an example of what this looks like of growing in faith and growing of wisdom and knowledge of who God is. And he tells them to follow his lead in this area. He says, look, that what you've seen from me, what you've heard me, my example, follow this. Imitate this. Not not because he's worthy of being imitated, but because he is seeking to, to model and imitate his life after that of the life of Christ Jesus. And so imitate, model your life after me as I imitate and model my life after Jesus. So follow me, follow my lead in meditating on the Lord, in serving the Lord, in seeking after Him, in making your life about Christ and His gospel. And when you do that, when you begin to meditate on the Lord, when you begin to dig deeper into His Word, when you begin to model your life after the life of Christ Jesus, then you will know that the God of peace is always with you and always for you. And when we remember this, when we remember that God is with us, that God is for us, then the difficulty of our circumstances, they seem a little less severe. They seem a little less dire because we know that God is with us. Now look, for for us to do this, this requires for us to be in community with one another. Sharing our lives with each other, to be in unity with each other. So this is why we come to church. 
This is why we participate in connection groups and small groups and and D groups and and prayer huddles and and whatever it might be to be in community with like-minded believers to encourage each other, to lift one another up, to hold each other accountable so that we can have these models, these examples of what it looks like to follow Christ in difficult and in good times and so that we can then be a model for those who are in need to live our lives out, to show people what it looks like to live a a God-centered life. This past weekend, uh, one of mine and Megan's students from South Carolina uh, got married. Uh, And it was a student we were pretty close to. uh, Her her mom was the office manager at the church that I worked at. And and, and so we had a very close relationship with their family, and uh, she was in my, my student ministry and college ministry there. And, and Megan and I had spent a lot of time uh, uh, investing in, in her and in our other college students. Um, she got married this past weekend, and, and I've never met the guy. Uh, she met him after we, we moved here. But I, I was talking to her, uh, her mom and dad, who became very good friends with my parents, um, and I think they might have a better relationship with my parents who don't live there and only visited there a couple of times than they have with us, uh, which I feel like my parents stole some friends from Megan and I. Um, and, uh, and as a matter of fact, they, they went, the, Amy and, and Daryl, uh, our office manager and her husband, they went and vacationed near where I grew up, and so they went out to dinner at my favorite restaurant with my parents. Uh, and, and then they, they went back to my house that I grew up in uh, to hang out with my parents, and so my mom FaceTimed me, and they were like, hey, look who we're with. Um, <laughs> um, but Amy shared something with Megan and I, and, and this probably speaks more to Megan than it does to me. But as, as Lindsay, as the daughter was getting ready to get married, she was telling her mom, and she said, I, I'm so thankful for people like Jeff and Megan who invested in us, who, who poured their lives out into us, who modeled for us what, what it looks like to, to love God and to seek after him and, and to put him at the center of their relationship, at the center of their marriage and their family. I'm thankful that I had someone that I could look to to see what that looked like, to see what I, I wanted in, in, in my husband, what I want in my marriage and in my family. And again, that probably speaks so much more to Megan than it does to me. But that, that, that's what Paul is talking about here, is living our lives in, in such a way that people can, can look in and see and see God at the center of our lives, God at the center of our marriages, God at the center of our families, of our work, of our hobbies, of our occupations, at the center of everything. That that's what this looks like, lived out. To be a model, to be an example for others, to to get through those difficult times, to get through those hard times, to to find peace and joy and contentment in life. Paul continues on uh, thanking the Philippians for their concern for him, but he reminds them that he doesn't really see himself as being in need. Um, He's content right now, sitting in prison, awaiting trial, uh, which doesn't seem like the most contented place to be. Uh, 
He tells them that he's learned to be content, that he's learned to be satisfied, to be satisfied in Christ. He tells them he knows what it's like to be brought low. And that word in, in Greek, it carries the idea of being humbled, of someone making you humble. He also know what, knows what it's like to abound, to have plenty, to be in abundance. There's a secret, Paul says, to being able to face having more and to being hungry. Uh, did, did any of you get hangry? You guys know that? It's, it's an it's a angry hunger. Um, and fortunately, unfortunately, I'm not sure. I'm, I'll find out this afternoon. Uh, Megan's not in here. She's working over in, in kids with, with the children uh, this morning. Uh, Megan gets hangry if you don't feed her regularly, <laughs> especially in the morning. Um, our daughters take after her in this. This is, why, uh, this is why the majority of our grocery budget is made up in snacks for Ellie. Um, because Ellie gets super hangry when she gets, uh, when, when she gets hungry, and, and so our family has not quite learned uh, how, to, uh, how, to, how to be content in, in hunger uh, yet. We're still working on that. Um, but uh, the, the students, they get pretty hangry too if you don't feed them regularly. But, but Paul knows how to be content in hunger. Uh, he knows how to be content uh, in, in need. Uh, he, he knows what it's like to have all of your needs be met, and he knows what it's like to be destitute, to have nothing to be in need. And, and so real quick, I, I wanna, it, it's going to flash up on the screen. I'm, I'm not going to read through all of them, but uh, I want us to look real quick at, at some of Paul's low points, at the destitution uh, that he, uh, he faced. And, and so we, we find this list in, in 1 Corinthians 4. Um, and so there's um, hungry and thirsty, there's, he was homeless, he's laboring, he's been persecuted and reviled and slandered. Uh, and then we go to 2 Corinthians 6. Um, he's faced afflictions and hardships, beatings, imprisonments. Um, he's been in the middle of riots. Um, not like him, well, he's caused them, but he caused them in such a way that they wanted to kill him. Um, uh, he's had sleepless nights. I don't know about you, but that's rough on me, sleepless nights. Um, again, hunger, he's been slandered, he's been poor, he's had uh, nothing, and yet he uh, still has a little lower to go there. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 11, uh, lots of labors and imprisonments. Um, he's been often near death, countless uh, beatings. I don't know about you, but when I get a beating, I normally am able to count how many of those I've had. Um, Paul's had countless beatings, five times the 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods. Uh, he was stoned once, shipwrecked three times. Um, after the second one, don't get, a, don't get on the boat again. Just like at some point you say enough's enough and you don't, you don't get on the boat. Um, danger, rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles, again, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold, exposure, and anxiety. That's, that's been Paul's life since he came to Christ. And so when he, he, he knows what it's like to be in need. He knows what it's like for things to not be going well. And, and so this is how I know Paul is a, is a much better Christian and a much better person than I am, uh, and, and that I have a lot farther to go in my, in my walk with Christ. Because I, I'm going to be honest, if, if I have to face just a few of these, uh, I, I'm going to throw me a little pity party. Uh, and, and there may be a temper tantrum or two involved, all right? 
in having to face these calamities, to be in such dire need, and yet Paul, Paul is able to rejoice in the Lord. Even though he knows that God has led him to these things and through these things, he's still rejoicing. He's still content. So when he's being, uh, uh, he's being beaten, he is content. When he's hungry, he's content. Paul's also known some, some really good times as well. It hasn't all been terrible. Uh, uh, he was uh, a rising star among the Pharisees. He was a stop, top student uh, of Gamaliel, uh, one of the, the most renowned Jewish teachers of his day. Paul was a Roman citizen and, and thus was entitled to certain privileges throughout uh, the Roman Empire. We, we, in Philippi, he talks about Lydia, and we read in Acts 16 that, that when he meets Lydia at the start of uh, the, him starting the church in, in Philippi, Lydia is a, a seller of purple cloth, and purple cloth was, was an expensive cloth, and so she had lots of money. And so Paul and his companions, uh, we believe, probably lived with Lydia in, in her like, estate. For, for a couple of years as they started the church there in Philippi. And, and so he would have had a, a roof over his head and he would have had uh, safety in her house and he would have slept on a comfortable bed with a pillow uh, instead of sleeping on the ground with a rock to lay his head on. And so he's known plenty. He's known abundance. He's known good times, but he's also known the difficult times the hard times. And he tells the Philippians that contentment is not something that comes naturally. It's something that has to be learned through time and experience. And so how? We, because we've all had rough seasons in life and we've all had, had good seasons in life. And so how is Paul any different than us that he's learned contentment? Paul has a secret that after all of the terrible things he's had to endure, he can still rejoice in the Lord and still be content with, with where God has brought him. How? What is that secret? The secret is Jesus in the gospel. That's what Paul's life is all about. That's why he's content to be in prison, because he gets to, to be chained, up, chained to, to guards all day. And so he has a captive audience then to, to share the gospel with. To see lives saved and transformed by Jesus and the gospel. That's why he's content to be beaten and he rejoices in the Lord for it because he knows that as he is suffering, he is just sharing in the suffering of Christ Jesus, his Savior. That's why he can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because if he, lives, if he lives, his life is poured out and is lived for the glory of Christ. And if he dies, then that just means that he gets to spend eternity with Christ. And so for him, for Paul, it's a win-win. Because his joy is in Christ. 
not in the things of this world, not his circumstances, not what he has or what he lacks, but in the one who was and is and is to come. The rock, our fortress and our refuge. That's who Paul rejoices in. That's who Paul turns to for comfort and for peace. That's his secret to joy and contentment. It is Jesus and his gospel proclaimed. Paul doesn't even care if he gets the credit for the gospel being proclaimed. He he tells the Philippians at one point, he says, look, there are people proclaiming the gospel to spite me because they think it'll hurt me because they're proclaiming because they think they're going to get the credit for it. And he says, you know what? Doesn't bother me. I'm cool with that. Why? Because the gospel's being proclaimed. That's his ultimate goal. That is his, his ultimate joy in life. It is the gospel being proclaimed to those who need to hear it. So this is, we're, we're, we're going to get into the passage here of, I can do all things through him who, who strengthens me. And so real quick, we need to talk about this passage. This is not one of those uh, name it and claim it kind of passages. This, this isn't prosperity uh, gospel. Paul is not saying that as long as you love Jesus uh, and write Philippians 4.13 on your, your eye black or your shoes or you get a tattoo of it uh, or whatever, that you can do anything you want or you can be uh, anything uh, you want. If that were true, I would not be here right now. Instead... I would both be, uh, be playing second base for the Atlanta Braves and a wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins. I would be doing both, all right, because that's what I desired the most growing up, all right? Second base for the Atlanta Braves, all right? I loved me some Mark Lemke, but unfortunately, just like Mark Lemke, I couldn't hit the baseball, all right? This is not a name it and claim it. This doesn't mean that you you get to have whatever you want. Paul is saying that he is content in every situation because of the God whom he serves. Paul tells them that he is able to do all things, to endure all circumstances because of the one who strengthens him. That Greek word for strengthens means to put power in. So the reason Paul can endure all of the circumstances and not get caught up in the good or the bad of it is because he knows that the power of God resides in him, empowering him for the work of the ministry, empowering him to endure all that he faces, all that he goes through, all that he does. We serve the same God that Paul did. We are empowered with the same strength by the same spirit that Paul and the Philippian church was. They were content and rejoiced because they partnered together for the sake of the gospel. Because Jesus was the center of their lives. Neither cared for the attention or for the glory for themselves. But they were concerned with the fruit that increases of people being saved, growing in their faith and with their Lord receiving the glory that was due him. See, our our world takes a much different view of this, and it it seeps into the church. We become become concerned with our own name or or with our church's name. We, We become concerned with our own glory. 
Uh, we, we become concerned with, with whether or not we have the, the, the bigger uh, ministry or the bigger church or, 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 or the more well-known whatever. We become concerned with our own glory. We've been called to unity and partnership for the sake of the gospel. At the beginning of chapter 4 of Philippians, Paul encourages two women in the Philippian church that he had partnered with to, to settle a dispute. They had labored together for the sake of the gospel, and he wants them to come together to agree in the Lord. He wants to remind them that what is ultimately important is the gospel and its spread, that it's the glory of Christ Jesus. And that's what we are to be about individually and as the church. We are to be about the gospel and its spread. We are to be about the glory of Christ Jesus and we are to find contentment and joy in that. And so what can we take from all of this? Well, first off, we are to rejoice in the Lord always. To remember that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that he hasn't forgotten you. Like he may be trying to teach you something in this season of your life. He may be preparing you for something. This is how Megan and I view my diagnosis and surgery and the recovery and all of that. That God was just preparing us to be able to minister and to help people who would go through a similar circumstance. And he's brought multiple people into our lives over the last couple of years that we've been able to minister to and share with because of what we went through. And so maybe, maybe he's bringing you through a season in life for that purpose. And so rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what he is doing in your life that maybe he is equipping you to do the work of the ministry to those that, that would face similar circumstances in their lives. And so rejoice in the Lord, no matter what your circumstances may be. Second is seek God. Meditate on him. Meditate on who he is and what he's done. If you're not sure that you have anything to rejoice about, then remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself that you were a sinner in need of a Savior destined for eternity in hell. But because of the love of Christ Jesus, uh, the love of God, He sent His Son, Christ Jesus, to die on the cross for your salvation that you might have eternal life. And if there is nothing else in your life, that is more than enough to rejoice about for all of eternity. And so if you have nothing else in your life you think you can rejoice over, rejoice in the gospel. Rejoice in a God and a Savior who loved you and gave himself up for you. Remind yourself of that. Remind yourself of the gospel and what God has done for you. You want peace and joy. Daily endeavor to know the source of peace and joy. Strive to know Him more and more every day. Study God's Word. Dig deeper into it. 
Find a connection group on Sunday morning. Find a, a, a small group. Find a, a D group. Find a, a, a prayer huddle. Whatever you do, but, but find a place to dig deeper into God's word so that you can know him better. And then seek out community. Seek out people to do life with that will encourage you, that will hold you accountable, and that you can do likewise with. Be in the word and be in community. Next, learn contentment and then keep learning contentment. Never make the mistake of thinking that you've become content and now everything is fine in your life. That leads to complacency and it leads to entitlement. Keep learning contentment. And again, we do that by rejoicing in the Lord. We do that by giving him our worries. We do that by meditating on him and by being in community. We learn contentment by finding our joy and hope and peace and security in Christ Jesus. No matter the situation or season we find ourselves in. That's the secret to contentment. God never changes God is always there. And so rest and relax in that beautiful truth. Next, make everything about the gospel. Your life, your joy, your money, your possessions, your family, your time, your ministry, your job, all of it, every aspect of your life, make it all about the gospel. Make everything a gospel concern. Partner fiercely for the sake of the gospel. Seek unity for the sake of the gospel. Serve for the sake of the gospel. Sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. Endure for the sake of the gospel. When we put the gospel at the center of all of it, when we put it at its spread, when we put its glory at the center of our lives, when we make everything about it, it becomes easier to endure those difficult seasons, those hard times, because we begin to view them as opportunities to live out and to spread the gospel. Charles Spurgeon once said, our problem is that Having been made to find happiness in God, we instinctively and vainly look for it elsewhere. Don't look for joy or happiness or contentment anywhere else but in the loving arms of a heavenly Father and a crucified Savior. So live, yourself, or live your life not for yourself, not for your name or for your glory, but instead for Jesus, his gospel, and his glory. And then lastly, rejoice in God receiving the glory. Wherever it may be, whatever the reason might be, anytime God is moving, anytime God is receiving glory and honor, anytime the kingdom of God is expanding and strengthening, rejoice in the Lord especially if you weren't involved in it. It's not our kingdom. It's not our place to receive the glory. It is God's kingdom. It is God's glory. And so let us rejoice in God. Let us rejoice in the glory of God because our lives are to be about Him 
and for Him. And so rejoice in the Lord. In just a minute, I'm going to pray and and Chad's going to come out and he's going to lead us uh, in in a worship song. During that time, I, I want to offer to you to come down to the altar to pray. Look, maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not, but I know for me, I struggle with this. I, I struggle with finding my contentment and my joy always in the Lord. I get distracted by the things of this world. I get distracted by, by wanting other things, thinking that they're going to make me happy, thinking that they're going to fulfill me. And so, so if you're like me, maybe, maybe you want to come and pray and confess that to God and ask him to help you find your joy, find your contentment and peace in him and in him alone. Maybe you want to come and pray and ask God to help you make the gospel the central focus of your life. Maybe you want to come and pray. Maybe maybe you worry. Maybe you're filled with anxiety. And you struggle with that, and it weighs you down. It pulls you down. And so maybe you want to come down and you want to pray and cast all of your worry and cast all of your anxiety on the Lord. But whatever you feel like, whatever you think you need to come pray about, come and pray about. As Pastor Justin mentioned last week, we're going to start having uh, some of our deacons uh, during the invitation time and after the service over here by these double doors. And so if you want somebody to pray with, come over here and and, and find one of them and pray with them. Or or find a a friend, a family member, or, or, or someone that you look up to and ask them to come and pray with you. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, be obedient. Come forward and give it to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks because you are good and because you are gracious. God, and you have given us so much. You've given us your Son, You've given us life. For those who trust in you, you've given us eternal life. You've given us more than we could ever repay you. You've you've given us more than we could ever say thank you enough for. And I, I, I know, like myself, I know many people struggle with finding contentment and finding joy in you. We struggle with anxiety. We struggle with worry. We struggle with making our our, our lives about you, God. And so I pray that your spirit would move in us. Your spirit would, would convict us, Lord, to confess and to repent and to seek you, Lord. To give you our all, to cast our worry and our our anxiety on you, to live boldly for you, to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So God, help us to give those things over to you. Help us to give our lives over to you to live our lives for you. God, we pray and we ask this in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.